You're listening to the Forefront Church Sermon Podcast. Forefront Church is a progressive Christian community more interested in asking good questions than having all the right answers. Thanks for listening. Hey, good morning, church family. I'm here to tell you one thing and one thing only. No, actually, I'm going to tell you more than one thing. Sorry about that. But what I do want to tell you is that God is love. And God is love, and I am not love. God is love, and I am not. You see, I can think of a few reasons that's true. One in particular stands out. It's a story from about four years ago where a woman got on a subway, and I have never seen a woman look so close to death, maybe? It was it was jarring, and I was jarred, and, and I wanted to help this woman. And she said, I need $5 and I need it now. And, and I didn't have any money. And I said, is there something else I could do to help you? And she said, no, I need $5 and I need it now. And then she started going around to other people in the subway train. And, and she said, I'm 32 years old and I need $5. And I, I thought this woman was like 70. It was, it, was, it was bad. It was hard. And I felt like compassion. And then that compassion quickly changed. Because then she started screaming and she was like, someone give me $5. And then I got resentful and I was like, who, who is this woman? Like, Who is this woman that she would scream this on the train? I want her to leave. See, I want my peace back. I, I want to be comfortable again. I don't want to have to have, have someone like this in my life. I don't want it. And then I got resentful because I was like, well, I'm a pastor and God, you know, God, you have brought people like this into our ministry and, and I've cared for, you know, people like this, you know, that's, I've, and I've done enough. And when do I get a break, God? Because, you know, this is, this is me. God is love and I, I am not. And so finally someone gave her $5 and she left and I was like, thank God. Thank God she left, yeah. That's what I said, because the truth of the matter is I have a lot of privilege and lots of racism. Truth is, I'm, I'm comfortable. The truth is that I don't necessarily want people who make me uncomfortable, right? That's, that's the truth. God is love and I am not. And so I got off the train and I remember thinking very distinctly, like very distinctly, I thought to myself, you know, God loves that woman, but boy, does that woman have a lot of work to do. You know, like, oh, she's got to figure it out sometime. She's got to figure it out somehow. Because God is love and God is love with condition. With condition. And so God is love, but God can't fully love that woman. And God is love, but so long as you're following the white Western tradition of Christianity. Otherwise, you might be a wolf in sheep's clothing. You know, how dare you go against that white Western view? And God is love, so long as you haven't been abused. Because abused means you're marked by shame. And God is love, so long as you're not an abuser. Because that's, that's just awful. That's terrible. There's no time or use or place for you. And God is love, so long as you're not gay or you don't identify as as something other than a binary or something other uh, uh, than a, a, a yeah something other than a binary god is love for all those reasons until until god's no longer love and then here's what's funny and really interesting is that then god despises all the same people we despise right that's that's exactly what happens god says you know i'm love but i don't like the same people you let you don't like either jonathan nice right we're we're on the same page This is what happens with an individualistic Christianity. God is love for us, for me. God is not love. 
for others. That's just the truth of the matter. And I want to talk a little bit about that today. I want to talk about this limited idea of what God's love looks like, especially in the midst of, of a national uprising, of jubilee, of revival, of whatever we want to call it, right? right? What do we do with this idea of God being love? We're, we're starting a series called Our Powers and Principalities Series. And in this series, we, uh, we're going to talk about powers and principalities. Now, in your church, if you grew up in a, in a, in a denomination that really believed in powers and principalities, how, how did you grow up? What did that look like for you? You could, you could reply in the comments if you want to. What was that like for you? For me, someone, someone said to me, I'll never forget, like it was Sunday school, and they were like, you know, powers and principalities are the demons and angels that are fighting. And they're fighting in a realm right above us, like right out of our, right out of our view. And they're fighting in this realm, and, and the angels are making sure that you're safe, and the demons are trying to get at you. And, and that's what powers and principalities were for me. Now, I don't know. I don't, I don't know about it. And, and, you know, Pentecostal tradition, especially, I know there's a lot of powers and principalities language going around. Um, and that's cool. But, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know what to think of it. I think as we go through this experience, I think one thing I am realizing and one thing that I fully believe is that when, when the Bible is talking about powers and principalities, the Bible is talking about the, the, the systems, the brokenness, some of the people that stop us believing that we are fully loved, then the powers and principalities are the systems, the brokenness, and the people that stop us from loving others fully. I think that's true. I think the powers and principalities are things like white supremacy. I think powers and principalities are, 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 are Jim Crow laws that are basically still in effect or still show their ugly selves to this very day. I think powers and principalities are, are the systems which stop the woman on the subway from getting real help, true help, life-changing help that she needs, right? These are the powers and principalities that I want to fight against, that we want to fight against. So how do we do that? How do we go about finding full, how do we go about uh, knowing that we're fully loved and then fully loving others? How do we end powers and principalities? I'm gonna tell you how we end it. And, and this is going to be, you're ready for this? This is going to be life-changing. Okay, here's how you're going to end it. Ready? You are going to end. We are going to end. I'm going to end. We're going we're gonna to put, put an end to these powers and principalities when we all recognize and fully embody the idea that we are loved by God. <laughs> and I know what you're saying. You're like, Jonathan, that's boring. That's trite. I'm watching this on a holiday weekend. Give me something better than this. Like, like, come on. All right, I'll try to give you something better. And here's where it comes from. It comes from something Paul said to a group of people called the Philippians. And this is what Paul said. He said, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature, God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, this was such a powerful passage 
Such a powerful passage that a lot of scholars believe that this might have been one of the first hymns that was ever sung. And it was sung by these people, the Philippians. Okay, Now, who are the Philippians? So the Philippians were, were empire workers. They were Roman empire workers. Philippians, uh, you know, they, they worked for the empire. They loved the empire. They're patriotic towards the empire. Some of them retired, and when they retired, the Roman empire gave them land and gave them like a nice pension uh, in Philippi, right? In the place where they lived. Like, so they were like Roman, like, you know, you know who they were? They, they would have been out the, at the Mount Rushmore speech a couple days ago. That's who they were. And while I was writing this, you know, I saw in St. Louis, you had two lawyers come out with guns because they were afraid of protesters. And in my head, I was like, these are the Philippians. These are them. This is who I'm talking about here. This is a privileged class of people. And all oh, this privileged class of people happened to find out about this guy, Jesus. And now they're singing this song. And this song's making them really, really uncomfortable. Paul's words are making them terribly uncomfortable. Why? Why are Paul's words making them terribly uncomfortable? Because here's what Paul's doing. Paul's using a curse word. He's using a curse word in this letter. So on this scroll, it should have said parental advisory, explicit lyrics. Like it should have said that on the scroll. Like Paul is using the word cross or crux. Crux is the word, uh, the Latin word, right? And for us, we're like cross. What's the big deal? It's cross, you know? Um, but back in those days, cross w was like the curse word. What's the curse word that you can't say, right? My kids are getting older. I, sometimes I hear them cursing and they don't think I do for shame. And then there's certain words they just won't say because they're like, that's the really bad one, right? Cross, that was the really bad one. That was the one that you never, ever say. And Paul is saying it. And not only is Paul saying it, Paul's making people sing it. In fact, it was so bad that Cicero says this, The name of the cross, not only from the body, but from thought, shall be far from the eyes and ears of every Roman citizen. Get this out of here. And so what Paul's doing is Paul wants people to be bothered who are singing this song. Because what Paul is doing is he wants us to know. He wants us to know that the infinite and unimaginable God is coming to this earth. And the infinite and unimaginable God says, how do I come to this earth? Do I come to this earth born on third base? Do I come to this earth as royalty? Do I come to this earth as upper middle class privileged with my own land and a nice pension? No, I don't. Where's the lowest place I can go? Where is the place that people can't stand the sight of me? Where is the place where I make people feel really uncomfortable because I'm invading their space? In what place can I actually go where people might even question whether or not I'm loved by God, even though I am God? What place can I go? Oh, I know what I can do. I can go to the cross. And by going to the cross, I can show people that this is where I reside. And so what Paul is doing is, Paul is doing this. Paul is going, hey, hey, privileged people who are part of the empire, you want to know where Jesus resides? Jesus resides in all the places you despise. Jesus resides there. That, that's where Jesus resides. Y'all want to go find the place where Jesus resides? Find the people that you have oppressed and hurt. 
Y'all want to know where Jesus resides? Go find the places where unjust laws have, have affected people for, for generations upon generations. That's where Jesus resides. You want to know where Jesus resides? Anytime you see someone who is at the border in a cage, anytime you see someone who is unjustly prisoned at a state penitentiary, you want to see where Jesus resides? Go look where people are protesting. That is where Jesus resides. And you can see all these Philippians, these privileged uh, this this privileged class going oh oh my stars like that you know that's something they would say oh my stars it's not in our Bible to trust me and they're like oh that's where Jesus resides there and then and then Paul says hey but don't worry because even though you are a privileged you know blank even though you're a privileged donkey God resides in you as well. And here's what I'm going to tell you. God, uh, God uh, see, the way that God moves Jesus from the cross to exalted, God moves in you from cross to exalted. Now, this word exalted was huge because the word exalted was for the Caesar, right? There was no science back in those days. And because there's no science, people would say the Caesar ex- is exalted, which literally means the Caesar is lifted up and becomes better than human. And, and the Caesar is, is in the other worlds, right? The Caesar's part of the stars. That's, that's where the Caesar is. He is exalted. And Paul says, hey, you know who else is exalted? The lowest of low where Jesus resides. And privileged class, you're also exalted. You're there too. That's how much you are loved by God. That God would even love you too, privileged class. And that's what the Philippians are, are reading, and that's what they're singing, and that's what they're hearing. And for them, it becomes really, really good news, because what this is, is this is a promise to people. Now, I preach on this about once a month, okay? Oh, not, not once a month. I preach on this about once a year. And about once a year, I preach on it because I think it's such an important concept. When, 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 when Paul says, hey, Jesus goes from cross to exalted, and you do as well, What he's saying is that you are fully and wholly loved. You are all exalted. You are all with God in this new place. It's this Hebrew word, chesed. And it's such a beautiful word because it's a word that says, hey, you know what? God is the infinite and unimaginable. But then God binds God's self to one law and one law only. And that law is regardless of who you are, whether you are privileged or whether you are not, or whether you are part of the powers and principalities, or whether you are not, right? Regardless of who you are, God binds God's self to you in love and never leaves you and never leaves me. That is incredibly good news. Think of it as like one of those ridiculous comedies where like two people have like, um, you know, they, they are now like they're handcuffed together and there's no key. And so they go around and they do funny things. Yeah, it's sort of like that, except it's God who's always connected to you. God never leaving you. God always loving you. God saying you're completely whole. That's what Hesed is. That's what Paul's talking about when he's saying, hey, you're going to go from cross to exalted, just like Jesus went from cross to exalted. What amazing news that we can never be separated from the love of God. I love it. Hesed. Too bad we don't believe it. We don't believe it, do we? We don't believe that we can never be separate from the love of God. And we don't believe it because we feel a bunch of shame. Shame is real. Especially right now, I think if I can speak to to the privileged for a moment, folks like myself, shame is real. 
right? We see what's going on. Maybe for the first time our eyes are opened to, to the fact that there is oppression and systems of brokenness and systems that we are complicit in. And all of a sudden we feel that shame. And we go, oh my gosh, I am a bad human being. I'm a bad human being for living in this system, right? I'm a bad human being for doing this, right? I'm a bad human being for being complicit in this. And what God is saying to us, God is saying, you're not a bad human being. I'm attached to you. I'm with you. You are wholly loved, right? You are not defined by this. Yeah, there are bad actions, and you get to change those actions, but you're not a bad human being. And what we say is, God is love, and I am not. I am a bad human being. I am filled with shame. And I cannot show love to others because I cannot show love to myself. That is shame. And there is shame because I cannot be empathetic to the stories and struggles of others because I don't believe that God is empathetic to my stories and struggles. And I have shame and I'm not able to act in such a way that show God's love to others because I inherently don't believe that I'm fully loved by God. How can I show God's love if I can't receive God's love? And we are even violent towards others because we believe that there is a God who is violent towards us. This is what shame looks like. We cannot work for the flourishing of others because flourishing is a commodity and it doesn't come in abundance, and I gotta hold on to it because that's the only way I can be validated because I certainly don't believe that I am loved. I am not loved, but at least I have power, and I'm gonna hold on to that power, and I'm gonna make sure that power doesn't go away, and I'm not giving it to anyone else. Do you see what shame does? Do you see what shame does? We cancel others immediately. We cancel ourselves. There's a reason we have cancel culture because shame says there's no room for mistakes. We absolutely have to get it right. And our worth is tied up in our perfection because if we don't have perfection, we can't be loved by God. Are you kidding me? God doesn't love the imperfect. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to cancel you knowing fully well that I want you to live up to the standard of perfection just like I have to because I feel shame. Now, what about the flip side of this? What about the flip side? Some of us are victims of oppression, and we are victims of oppression, and in being a victim of oppression, we've been told over and over that we are not validated, we are not valid, and we, we start to believe that we must not be loved, and we must start uh, feeling that shame, we feel that shame. I'm being held hostage in a broken system that perpetuates my inhumanity, and now I feel shame. I'm a victim of violence, from someone else and now that shame is upon me. I feel shame over my inability to flourish, but the truth of the matter is that flourishing has been taken from me. It doesn't matter that it was taken from me by someone who feels shame. I now can't flourish and I now feel that shame. I've been canceled and now I'm defined by my shame. This is a vicious cycle. It's a cycle that perpetuates arrogance and oppression and violence. It's, it's a cycle that is created by the oppressor, one who doesn't believe they are loved. And then that cycle is perpetuated to those who are victims of oppression because we've told people, because we're not loved, neither are you. You're not loved either. And with this cycle of shame, we try to fix a broken system. We're never going to fix it until we can get rid of that shame. As Audrey Lord said, the master's tools will not be used to dismantle the master's house. And if we are going to dismantle 
dismantle the master's house, then we need to know today, right now, that our shame is a lie. We need to know right now that we are fully loved, full stop. We need to know right now that God on the cross resides in each and every one of us, even if we are the foolish, privileged class. We've told you as a church, we said, hey, there's so much we can do right now. So much we can do to usher in this jubilee. So much we can do to, to help change the world. So much we can do for our black siblings who are, who are struggling for equity. And we've given you those things. We've told you to, you know, the Holy Hope Day phone calls. Call your legislators. Help, help us enact policy that brings equity. You know, we've talked to you and we've said, uh, you know, hey, join us as we, as we protest. Protest is such an important thing to do in this country. It's a voice. Read this. Educate yourself about that. Find space here. Find care here. We've given you a lot forefront. And maybe it's exhausting. <laughs> maybe it is. I get why it would be. But the truth is, is that this battle against powers and principalities, this is a marathon. It is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And if we are going to dismantle the master's house, the one thing that we do today, the one thing we take with us today, the one thing we embody this entire week, even if there's nothing else, is to be confident and wholly secure that our shame is a lie and that we are connected to our creator and there's nothing that can take that away from us. Because the second we start to believe that, the second we believe that we are fully connected to our Creator and fully loved and there is no shame, then guess what we get to do? We get to look at others and we get to say to others, you are fully connected to the Creator. And there is no shame in you. And so now I am at work to make sure that you understand you are fully connected to the Creator. Because I know I'm fully connected to the Creator. Do you see how that works? It breaks a cycle. Our shame is a lie. So say it with me. Our shame is a lie. It doesn't embody us. It doesn't characterize us. It, it, it's, it's not who we are. We are loved. And when God gets what God wants, God gets flourishing for every single human being. From the woman on the subway to even me. Do we want to defeat the powers and principalities? Shame has no place here. Let's start by announcing that. And now we have to do the hardest thing in the world. And the hardest thing in the world is to believe that we are always connected to a loving God. And what's even harder is to believe that every individual, no matter who they are, is connected to a loving God. And then this is the hardest part, and it's so hard I want to read it. If we believe that we are loved by God and always connected and believe that everyone is loved by God and always connected, then that means we go out and actually extend trust to one another and take care of one another without resorting to violent and manipulative means. It means we share our power with one another. And as Sarah New said in her fantastic blog post, which you all need to read, she said this, as we shift our vision of God, will that start to shift our vision of society? Yes. And if we shift our understanding of how God relates to us sinners, then we can shift our understanding about how we relate to the sins of others. That is how we break the cycle. Because as soon as we realize we're loved, and as soon as we realize we are not filled with shame, then we're able to go do the same for others. We get to love because we were first loved, right? And we can have a new imagination. What kind of imagination will we have when we walk around this place not feeling like power is a commodity because we're so filled with shame? 
<laughs> what kind of what kind of imagination can we have, right? If we walk around this place believing that there is an abundance of love, so much love that I don't need it, that I can give it to someone who might not have it on a systemic level. Wow, what kind of world can we can we create? And what I love is that there's precedent. The Philippians. Philippians become one of the strongest churches in all of early Christendom. Yeah, this group of like, you know, people who go to Mount Rushmore to celebrate the 4th of July and are out there with guns on their lawn in St. Louis, those same people change. They go, oh my gosh, if Jesus is in the lowest of the low and Jesus is in me, that means I get to share that good news. We get to share that good news. It changes the world. And so listen to this. It's going to be trite, it's going to be boring, and it's going to make all the difference in the world. If we are going to change this place, then you must know and we must know that we are fully loved, full stop. That the said of God keeps us connected to God no matter what, full stop. There's nothing that takes that away. That even though you despise people, no, God doesn't despise them. God's connected to them as well. And so maybe we should start operating in a way where we are connected to them as well, right? That is good news. And we move from power over to power together. And we move from, from power of self to power of the collective. And we move from hoarding power out of fear to giving power out of others. Because at the end of the day, this is the reflection of God's kingdom. This is what life looks like with no shame. And this is the power of hesed, knowing that we are fully connected and nothing can take that away from us. And so we all say amen and amen and amen. God, thank you for the good news that we are loved. Thank you for the good news that there is no shame. Now give us the courage and the strength to believe it. And once we believe it, give us the courage and the strength to enact it for our siblings in Christ. And give us the courage and the strength to see it in everyone. And when we don't, we are thankful for the grace that comes and erases our shame daily. And we pray all this in your glorious name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Forefront Sermon Podcast. To learn more about Forefront and how we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity, visit ForefrontChurch.com.